0: Okay. Well, I bet you most of us in here, we've probably had a day in our life in which everything unexpectedly changed out of nowhere in a single moment. Many of you probably have painful moments like that attached uh, to, to, to you right now. You know, I, I, I'll never forget in the, in the fall semester of my senior year at Indiana University, I was 21 years old, just young feeling strong and smart and engaged and in love and man it was a beautiful fall morning blue sky I mean the leaves were changing it was just an absolutely stunning day get out of bed and get some breakfast and flip on the TV and what do I see it's the same thing on every single channel the the first tower was hit many of you know that exact moment in your life when that happened and then you're watching as you're watching the news uh, you you witness in real time the second plane hitting the second twin tower there in New York and then you're wondering what's going on this can't be an accident and then while you're watching the Pentagon gets hit and then a fourth plane goes down and at that point you're starting to wonder is this the beginning of World War III is this is this the beginning of like some apocalyptic moment in our lives like it, it, it blew our minds every one of you who were alive during that time uh, or, or you, you have a story just like that you remember how it made you feel to watch that moment that changed everything in our culture you remember how it made you feel you remember what you did the rest of the day and you've probably swapped stories like that like my generation we swap 9-11 stories like the the older generation you you swap the where were you when JFK got shot story. And, and the younger generation now, they'll have the what were you up to when the pandemic hit story, you know, that they'll swap for the rest of their lives. And, and so we all have moments like that in which they've just left such an impression upon us that uh, just the, the mention of the date alone causes us to have a flashback. And again, as I, as I mentioned, some of you in here, you have moments like that on an individual level maybe moments that everybody didn't participate in together but that moment in which you and your life uh, everything suddenly changed because of some tragic event tragedy struck unexpectedly in your life and it's left an emotional scar to this day to the point in which when that date comes around on the calendar you almost wince in pain still because of the emotional scars that were left behind and here's the truth all of us in here are just one phone call away from having a day like that. I mean, being a pastor, I'm often uh, with families when they're having that day, but we're all just one day away. And if you haven't ever have a, had a day like that, it's coming. You'll have a day in which everything suddenly changes uh, in your life. And so if that's you and, and maybe just even thinking about that is a painful, concept for you right now the passage we're studying today in job I believe will have or can have a healing effect upon your life Uh, there's there's so many benefits from this moment that we are going to to study here if you had a moment of extreme loss or extreme chat tragedy when all of you when, when all you can do is just collapse on the ground and melt If you've had that moment, if you've been there where you're just shattered into a million pieces, you don't know what to do in that moment. You don't don't know what to think, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do. Uh, You know, when all the puzzle pieces are are just poured out on the table, you don't even know how to find the first two pieces, pieces to put your life back together. Well, Job is in that moment that we're studying today. And Job is going to show us how to find the first two pieces that go together and how to begin to put your life back together at ground zero and that that's valuable valuable information we're looking at verses 13 through 22 in chapter 1 13 through 22 and it it reveals what I believe is perhaps the single most important truth of the entire book of Job like this is this is a truth that we're gonna learn in this passage of Scripture that it's a really big pill to swallow I mean part of me uh, part of part of you and I want to reject what we're gonna learn in this paragraph um, and with that said I'm going to try to just present this truth to you as gentle as I possibly can as gently as I can and in and, and, and love just present it before you I'm not gonna to try to you know just uh, force feed you this truth. I'm just going to lovingly present it to you and you may need to meditate upon it for a while. This is probably one of those truths that you learn in scripture that is so stunning and so profound and so beyond us that you just need to just, I don't know, just sit in it for perhaps a season, maybe a season of life before you accept it and praise God for it. So today's passage we are watching Job's, uh, the worst day of his life. The worst day in the life of Job, where everything changed forever in just a moment. How did we get here? Well, this is our third week in Job. We remember that it is God who pointed out Job to Satan. That's how we got here. We remember that it was Satan, after God pointed out Job, Satan accuses Job of superficial worship. You, you, you point out, Job, yeah, I know Job. Of course he loves you. Look at all the stuff he has in his life. Look how good his life is. He's, his family's perfect. He's healthy. He's got a, a unfathomable wealth and fortune. Of course he, lo- he loves you for all of the goodies that you give him. Stop protecting him and he'll curse you right to your face. That's how we get to the worst day in the life of Job. Because at that moment, God gives Satan... A divine permission slip. You can do whatever you want to Job, just don't kill Job. Just don't put a don't don't touch Job. And at that moment God stops protecting Job. The hedge that is around Job is removed. And Satan doesn't waste any time getting to work. We remember where we left Job the last time we saw him? He's on his knees offering a burnt offering to God for the uh sins of his family just in case they sinned it is it doesn't even know right he's just honoring god with his life and you, we, we we remember last time we saw him in that first paragraph his family's probably off in the distance there at picnic tables flying kites and sun the sun's shining and they're having a great day this is the next time we see job in verses 13 through 22 and satan is now unleashed and attacking him Let's look at verse, verses 13 through 15 to get started. This is titled Satan Takes Job's Property and Children. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you so just like that things begin to change this is wave one he's we remember from those first five verses we got a great description of the life of Job and we're told in verse 3 of the first paragraph that he had 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys and and they're all wiped out in one fell swoop those Sabians just came and, and took them Sabians would have been from like Southern Arabia they, they stole them and they killed the servants that were you know looking after that livestock all except one And you'll notice as we look at these waves of destruction from Satan There's always one servant left almost intentionally right or definitely intentionally by Satan He leaves one person alive to go send a message to job your life is changing forever buddy I mean, this must have been a jolt to Job's system. But he had a lot of wealth, right? But don't forget, I mean, this was an attack by the Sabians, and so not only was his livestock stolen, but his safety probably felt as though it was violated and threatened as well. But that's just wave one. Let's look at wave two in verse 16. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven, and burned up the sheep, and the servants, and, and and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now the fire of God that fell from heaven—that's that's probably, maybe it was a, a great fireball, or or it's most likely lightning that struck them. And so, regardless, we remember more of what we learned in that fir- first paragraph. The the sheep, right? The 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 sheep uh, from from verse three—they're now dead. You know, this is, a, this, is enough of, um, th- this is enough of his livestock and his property that he's no longer upper class. In just, just a moment, he goes from upper class to just maybe like normal class, <laughs> right? uh, middle class. His servants, more of them, dead. Right on the hills of that Sabian attack, too. I mean, right when it rains, it pours. That's really the case here in this paragraph, as this is just wave two. So in verse 17... We get to the next wave. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So here we got the Chaldeans. They would have been from Mesopotamia, and now they stole the camels. In verse 3, You know they had 7,000 sheep. There was 3,000 camels, the perfect amount of, of, of livestock. Now, they're all taken as well. So now Job is he's wiped out. He's bankrupt, just like that. Safety gone. More servants dead. He's financially ruined. Everything that he's worked for. Remember, he worked for that the right way, the honest way, the honorable way. All of it was completely wrecked. He has no assets left. They were obliterated by Satan. Wave 3 must have felt awful. The rug has been pulled, but it's, it's nothing compared to the last wave. Absolutely nothing compared to 18 and 19. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you and these four waves of satanic destruction in the life of Job we have two attacks from enemies we have two uh, natural disasters I mean seven sons and three daughters the perfect family's gone who cares about your assets at this right uh, at this point right I mean Job's only human how can he how can he even stand to bear the weight of this I mean you can always get more stuff right when I just think about putting myself in the shoes of Job in this moment like that would have been a a major bummer losing all your assets and and everything but I mean take my stuff take all of it take my bank accounts whatever you take it don't mess with my sons don't mess with my family don't hurt them but all of this is gone it's gone and it would all be so much easier to accept if he had done something to deserve it I mean it you almost wish at this point there was something in that first paragraph that we missed something negative about Job something about how he you know was doing something behind the curtain that was immoral or or something that he could have done to just deserved even a little bit of this we wish that was there but it's not you know I remember uh, oh oh, man it's over a decade ago now I was doing prison ministry with Randy and and we were up in uh, Caldwell at the prison there and I remember distinctly having a a conversation with an inmate there that that wanted to pray with a pastor and I remember him coming to me in tears he was completely devastated uh, as to wh- where his life had ended up, and he, and he says to me, like, just help me, I'm lost. I just need somebody to pray with. And I said, sure, I'll, pr- I'll pray with you, and, I, and I, I, I start listening to him, and he just said, man, I, I've lost my wife, I've lost my kids, they hate me, I've lost my home. I've lost every dollar to my name. He's, and I, I remember the way he phrased it. He said, I don't even own this shirt that I'm wearing right now. It's not even mine. I, I don't even own it. I have nothing. And, and I was like, oh, okay, man, you know, let's, let's pray about that. But the next thing he says is, you know, but I have nobody to blame but myself. And I was like, well, go on. You know, he says, well, you know, I was, I was unfaithful to my wife. I neglected my kids and I embezzled over a million dollars and that's how I ended up here I I squandered my entire life and that's why I have nothing and so you know when I think you know in in my mind I'm like yeah okay you're right where you deserve to be buddy you know it's easier to cope with it's easier to accept where he had ended up in life as we're praying together the path to, to healing or the path to coping with his lot in life was really simple you need to repent you need to you need to confess your sins and repent you need to to pray through this you've messed up and so that you brought all of this calamity upon yourself it was a pitiful thing to witness and to hear him describe but it was really easy to accept because he brought it on himself but we don't get anything like that in the book of Job we don't get any description like that about Job's life that that he would deserve any of this whatsoever. There's one part of that first paragraph, you know, everything else has been burned up and destroyed, but one thing in that first paragraph, in those first five verses, and that is that Job was blameless and upright and one who feared God and turned away from evil. He wasn't the type of guy that deserved this. He wasn't the type of guy that lived his life in a way that would bring calamity and destruction upon himself but it's the cards he was dealt it was happening to him anyway job's life was just broken into pieces it was shattered it was destroyed in a way that it would never be put back together again ever everything in verses 1 through 5 except his blamelessness and uprightness everything's demolished there's no undoing what has happened to job so how will job respond and better yet how do you think you would respond or maybe how have you respond responded in moments like that in your life verses 20 through 22 man this is it this is the wisdom of job if you come to the book of job and you're trying to obtain the the wisdom that is there like i want to I want to think like Job. I want to live like Job. I want to to gain from Job what Job has to offer. Verses 20 through 22, I think, is some of the most stunning verses in the entire book. If you you want the wisdom of Job, here it is. This is the best of Job. Verses 20 through 22. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Let me read that last verse again. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Three of the most stunning verses in this entire book. I mean, verse 20, let's just look at verse 20 for a second. It all makes perfect sense up until it doesn't, right? Job arose and tore his robe. That makes perfect sense. Can you imagine living through a moment like what Job just had in that paragraph? I mean, there needs to be a physical release of pressure, right? And that physical release of pressure uh, was, was communicated. It was expressed through the tearing of his outer garment. He just ripped it, I mean, and that was a customary way to, to express mourning. And so, it, but it's also just reasonable, right? You, sometimes, have you just been in those circumstances that you just want to rage against the circumstances? And that's what, that's what Job is doing. He, he's tearing his robe. It makes perfect sense. That's a reasonable reaction. Then it says he shaved his head. Makes perfect sense. When people don't know what to do, they tend to do things that are extreme, when they're under a lot of pressure and life's falling apart and they can't control anything they got to do something extreme in that moment and that is a natural reasonable response and so in Hebrew culture one thing that you would do you know your hair was considered your glory and so in extreme situations like with mourning, you would shave your head and shave your face you'd be be bald and bare That was an extreme thing to do, and that was the customary way to express that extremeness that you're living in. Then it says he fell to the ground. This, again, just makes perfect sense. Surely it was because his knees buckled, or, you know, he just he he fainted. He's collapsed. But that's not what we see. It makes perfect sense up until it doesn't. This is the point in which it doesn't. He fell to the ground because he collapsed into worship. How? Now let's not mistake what type of worship this is. This isn't the type of worship that a church is going to post on their Facebook page, right? This isn't the smiling and, and dancing and, and singing worship songs, you know, type of worship that comes to our mind when we think of the word worship. This isn't that type of worship. But this is worship he fell he collapsed to the ground in worship and he expressed emotions in worship that we don't tend to tie to worship but it's so important that you tie them to it now if you want to gain wisdom from job you know every emotion that we have it can be something that's utilized to express worship to God each of them can honor God the, the, what he's feel the emotions that he's feeling he's devastated he's crushed his soul is crushed And yet in that state of mind, he uses those emotions to praise God. He praises God with mourning. He praises God with his sadness, with his devastation. That's worship too. How can that be? How is that worship? Teach us, Job. Well, he does teach us. Verse 21, it stuns us. Because it shows us what this kind of worship looks like, what it sounds like. This is the broken exaltation of God. How can how can, heartbreak, how can heartbreak be expressed in worship? Well, I think how it can be expressed in worship is that when you get to those situations in life that crush you so much, that just devastate you, that just ruin you, wreck you, and you don't know what to think and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go and you're totally baffled you're dumbfounded you're confused in those moments when you live with faith and you don't know what to do you you fall back on what you do know you fall back on those fundamental truths that have been ingrained in your mind that is your faith and so here are the truths that he fell back on they're really really simple Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. A simple yet profound truth. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A really simple and profound truth. That first truth is just saying, hey, you and I didn't bring anything into this world. We're not going to take anything out of it. That's what he's saying. Paul teaches that same truth in 1 Timothy 6 verse 7 we're just human he falls back on that truth that understands that everything you have in this life is on loan everything that you have in this life right now is temporary all of it all of it is on loan from God like you work your whole life to build all those assets you work your whole life to have that house and to have those cars and to have that retirement but one day It's all gonna pass through your hands. You don't get to take any of it with you. One day you're just gonna die and they're gonna liquidate all of that and pass it out to people who didn't earn it, right? One way or another, it's all gonna pass through your hands and into someone else's hands. Someone who didn't work their whole life for it. You don't get to take a penny with you. You don't get to even take the shirt on your back. Nothing, everything is temporary. Even your family is temporary isn't that shocking to think of but you know it's true even your family life is temporary you think about like you know the season of life that I'm in with uh, well Reese will be a teenager this year well I'm gonna have three teenage boys and some of you you've already been through that phase of life and what do you tell people like me it goes by fast you better enjoy it right it's temporary it's here and then it won't be here and it's gonna be gone you're gonna wish it was back You're complaining about cleaning up all that mess right now but you're gonna wish it was there later in life right because you're gonna miss it but it's all temporary right we raise our kids we nurture them we love them we discipline them and then we we release them into the wild right and and they start their own lives and do their own thing and they they do they do everything that you did and and then they have kids and they do that and rinse and repeat and this is it's all temporary all family life is temporary it goes through these different cycles and pretty soon generations will go by and you'll be dead and forgotten do, you, do any of you know your great-great-grandma or grandpa you might just know their name but you don't know anything about them right and pretty soon you'll just be that ancestor that no one knows anything about nothing in your life n- well, there's, there's nothing no signs of you around you're just gone it's because it's all temporary your family is temporary it's all on loan even your marriage, that's the one that really gets me when Jesus teaches that even marriage is temporary and when we get to heaven, we're not even, there's no marriage there. Like, what? That's like a major record scratch moment for me when I'm reading in scripture that even that is on loan from God and temporary. Everything, everything in this world that we experience is on loan from him who owns everything and he can give whatever he wants and he can take away whatever he wants because he owns it all your life your kids your assets everything your home and Job in his humble wisdom he just falls back on this truth that he knows this fundamental truth God owns all things he gave me this incredible life that I got to enjoy for a while He didn't have to give any of it to me. He blessed me with it. He gave me this incredible family. But it it all had an expiration date. It was all temporary. I got to enjoy it for years. He didn't have to give me any of it. I didn't have to have a single iota of it, but he let me have it, and he loaned it to me for a season of time, and now that season of time is done, it's over. How could I complain to the sovereign creator about the gifts that he loaned me in this life? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what heartbroken exaltation of God looks and sounds like. It's, it's about as genuine as worship can get. And it's, it's devastating, but it's worship. I mean, when you think about the heartbroken exaltation of God that you're reading about here in Job, is that something that you even think you're capable of? It's, it's scary for me to think about. Could I, could I do that? I don't know that I could. And, it, and if not, why can't? Why couldn't I? I don't, I don't know there, because there's so many things. I just don't know if I want to believe about God. I would have to believe certain things about God in order to have that response in my life, right? When, when, when life rings you out, whatever's inside is what comes out. I'm not sure if I got wrung out like Job like that, if this is what would pour out of me. It's scary to think about. I mean, what, what would ring out of me in, in, in moments like this? Like, I'd probably be spending my time and my energy cursing the Sabians, cursing the Chaldeans, whining about my lot in life. Like, are you kidding me? Is this going to happen? Is, is all of this going to happen in the same day? I, I think I would collapse in complaining, not collapse in worship why and then i have to ask myself if i would have such a different response i have to wonder am i even worshiping the same god that job worships because you have to believe the right things about god in order to be wrung out like that you know a lot of people they reject god for the wrong reasons and they accept god for the wrong reasons and we always have to ask ourselves am i one of those people that does it for the wrong reasons. I mean, a lot of people reject God because they think He's this Zeus like figure in the heavens with lightning bolts, just hoping that you screw up so He can zap you. And He's just always waving His finger at you, and He's disappointed in you, and He can't believe you are the way that you are. And so they don't have any time for that, so they're gonna reject God. And then you have a lot of people who accept God. For a lot of reasons that aren't true they, they accept god because they believe he's this big fat happy santa that just wants to fill your stocking with goodies all year long and and he knows you're good and, and even if you do a little bad it'll overlook it you'll worry your stocking's still going to get full and they accept god for the the wrong reasons both of them are wrong and so thankfully we have the word of god to sort through our own minds and examine our hearts to see am I even worshiping the God of the Bible if I'm so sure that I wouldn't respond like this maybe I need to check in myself and see if I'm even believing the same things that Job believes about God he certainly believes this one truth and a lot of Christians deny it and don't want to accept it and it's that God ordains all things He ordains all things, all circumstances in life. Every last one of them pass through his hands. The sovereign creator of the universe is the ruler of all situations, all events, all circumstances. If God wants something to happen, it's going to happen. Anything else that happens, he has the power to stop it. And so if he didn't stop it, he's allowed it to happen. He's ordained it. And so, therefore, he ordains all things. All things come to pass because of God, ultimately. Do you believe that about God? That's the God of the Bible. There's a lot of reasons I'm tempted to reject that truth about God. That's not one of those truths about God that I'm really eager to jump on board with real quick. Oh, hey, yeah, great. Thanks, Bible. I'll move on with my life now. God ordains all things. No, that's, that's a truth about God that you learn that you're like, hang on a minute, all things, I can think of a lot of bad things that you're telling me God allowed, and he ordained it, he ordered it, in the sense that he could have stopped it, and he didn't, but he he permitted it to happen anyway, you're telling me that he ordains all circumstances, there's a lot of really bad circumstances happening right now while we are in church, you're telling me God ordained it, ugh. That's a tough truth. That's, again, it's not a truth that you can be presented, and and, and you can't just force feed someone that truth. And so I'm not trying to do that today. I'm not trying to just make you believe this truth that I really want you to believe. I'm just presenting this truth that is clearly in Scripture and and, and allowing you to just meditate upon it for just a moment. Maybe you've never even contemplated that concept. Well, I've contemplated a lot, and I've had a lot of really hard, I've had a a hard time about it you know I had a hard time with it but here's what helps me get on board with it because not everything I read in the Bible is like something I'm really excited about okay but I sit under the authority of the Bible and this is what informs my faith here's what's helped me to accept the fact that God ordains all things contemplate the alternatives contemplate the alternatives if he doesn't ordain all things if all things don't pass through his hands would you rather believe that I mean would you prefer that everything is just a is just up to fate what does that even mean (laughs) like fate from who or from what that's just something we'd like to say to feel better that doesn't mean anything when you really press that when you really think about that well it's just fate, man it was fate that doesn't mean anything That means absolutely nothing. Would you prefer to believe that? Would you prefer to believe that everything in life just boils down to chance? It's just a roll of the dice. Maybe God's going to win in the end. Maybe not. Maybe Satan will. Do you really want to believe that God really wanted to stop Satan from hurting Job like this, but he just couldn't? Do you really want to believe that that Satan really did just uh, dupe God into And to hurting Job, that that God's just this big buffoon that just like fell asleep at the wheel or something, and so Satan took advantage of the moment and seized the opportunity to wreck and demolish Job's life. Is that better? When you start thinking about the alternatives to a sovereign God, there's nothing comforting about it at all. It's much more disturbing. Job wasn't comforted by any of those alternatives. And that is evident through his response right it's because those alternatives aren't true Job believes that it is God who gives and God who takes away you see how he just immediately looks past Satan remember Job doesn't even know that conversation even happened but he doesn't need to he falls back on a fundamental truth God is the owner of all things he gives and he takes away he goes right directly to the creator when he thinks about his lot in life and his circumstances in life he doesn't scream at the chaldeans or worry about the sabians or think about spiritual uh, attacks from satan he just goes right to god god gives and god takes away but that last verse man you can't you can't process that truth without that last verse 22 it's the way that he did it. It's the way that he credited God with all of this calamity that is the wisdom of Job. Job he, he doesn't he doesn't credit God in a God's not fair type of way. He credits God in a Job did not sin or charge God with wrong kind of way. That's what fearing God is in the Bible. Trusting God's bigger plan for all things and all things pass, pass through his hands. You know, we love to run to verses whenever life confuses us or, or we experience calamity in this world. We run to verses like eight, Romans eight twenty eight that says, and we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That is a famous verse, but it sure doesn't make any sense whatsoever if you don't believe that God ordains all things. All things work together for good? How? Who is working them together for good? Who is working together all of these things together for good? Well, it's God, because he ordains all things. All good, all bad, all of it. He's he's sovereign over it. And so, you may not like this truth, but I really, really don't like the alternatives. Of all of the options, God ordaining all things is the most comforting truth. And it's the truth that the Bible teaches. You know, there's another point here that I I I really, really want you to see, because I think it would be a disservice to the text and to this time together if I didn't point it out. The faith that Job is displaying here, did you notice that none of it removes the pain that he's feeling? The faith that he exercises in this moment, none of it removes the agony or the turmoil or or the or the destruction that just took place in his life a lot of times we we want to run to the book of Job in bad times in our life because we want the pain to go away we we want the hurt to stop and so we go to Job to make the hurt hurting stop but what we see here is the type of wisdom that Job has and the type of faith that he has it doesn't make the pain and suffering and agony go away like that he doesn't just like collapse in worship and in broken heart Uh, and the broken exaltation of God on the ground and and then like just pop up and go along on his merry way and well okay everything's better now because I have faith that's not what's happening and that's not how it works so I mean if you're if you're going to the book of Job to make the pain stop like that that's not how this truth works in your life Job's heart was still broken in this moment He had faith there, and he had truth, but he had just the first couple of puzzle pieces together, and it kept his faith intact, but his life was still shattered. He didn't worship away the frustration and the agony that was there, and that's the lesson that Job wants to teach us. That is a complicated lesson. We learn that truth really quick right here in the first chapter of Job. But if it's confusing to you, if it's too much for you, it it gets fleshed out in these conversations that are ahead of us between Job and his friends. And it needs to be fleshed out because if you're like me, you're presented with that truth and you're just like, well, hang on a second. I got questions. I don't know if I can, I, I don't know if I'm ready to swallow that pill. Well, we got a lot more to cover in the book of Job, but here's the wisdom of Job in a nutshell. And this is the truth that I want you to walk away with today. When Job began this day, the worst day in his life, he started that day with everything. He had everything, and he had God. What a joy it was to look at Job on this day. But by the end of the worst day of his life, he had nothing. Everything was lost, except he still had God, which means that Job actually still has everything. That's the wisdom of Job. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these critical truths that we're learning in the book of Job. Man, they're so big, it's so intimidating. But Lord, I thank you that you share them with us because this life is intimidating and this life is confusing. And Lord, you give us big, long, complicated answers because we live in this complicated, frustrating world. And again, Lord, I thank you for having a a group of believers to be learning these truths alongside, that we can contemplate them together, that if we struggle to get on board with the truth, Lord, we have a group of people that will struggle along with us. But Lord, ultimately, we want to honor you And we want to believe the things about you that you teach us through your word. So Lord, help us to conform to your word and to to know you and so that we can know who we are in relationship to you so that we can worship you rightly in the good days and the bad days with the fun emotions and with the not so fun emotions in life. May all of this go to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.